Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is what we call the other way. Uh, this is an extension of the way podcast where we actually discuss some of the issues, some of the questions people may have along the way. Feel free to ask your own questions that we can ask on future episodes. But today, myself, Benjamin LaGrange, and my co-host today, Drew Spidell, will we'll be answering some questions about what's in the Bible. What is it comprised of? What it's composed of? What can you do with it? What can you not do with it? Or what should you do with it? What shouldn't you do? That's another thing altogether. <laughs> what, what, ought we, what ought we and what ought we not to do? Yes, ought. That is a that is a great word, isn't it? Well, I'm just borrowing from some ethics stuff. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank, we are, thank you, college education. Thank you, college education. So, we actually have a couple of things. Uh, let's just talk about the first question. What's in the Bible? Yeah, what is in the Bible? I mean, if you're... Uh, there's, all, there's a whole host of different kinds of books in, in the Bible. You've got some that uh, teach teach law. You've got some that are, are more telling a story, like a history or, so, or, or such. There's some that are wisdom. They, get, they give you some advice. They give you uh, ways we live our lives. We've got uh, stuff that is spoken to prophets, that, that God directly spoke to these people and they wrote down for us. Yeah. So there's history, there's prophecy, there's poetry, there's instruction, there's wisdom. There's a certain kind of poetry called uh, apocalyptic stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. There's there's prophecies, things of what will yeah. come. Yeah, there's quite a few things in there. Um, but really, what it is is uh, basically God's word to us. Uh, it's a way that He speaks to us and gives us instructions on how to to live our lives, not just here and now in this world, but also to give us a clue of what's to come after that. So when we actually look at the the uh, Bible, there's actually several sections. Let's actually just kind of jump over those first. All right. Want, want to do it in, in biblical order or do you want to just... We'll do it in biblical order. Let's do that. So the first is the Pentateuch. Yeah, which in, for that's a fancy word for saying the five the five books. Yes. It's essentially Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy make up the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible... Uh, also the first five books of uh, Hebrew stuff as well. And it's also known as the law. The law. You, you, you'll hear it referenced as the law the law, or the law of Moses. Or the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Yeah. So what we look at first is uh, initially the book of Genesis. Genesis is actually kind of a family history to follow the line of where we came from. Now, keep in mind, this is not a science book. It's a way to tell people from thousands of years back in a way that they would understand where we came from and where we're going to. So yeah, so it starts off with literal literal creation of everything. Literal creation of everything and, then and it, relationship. Then it, yeah, and the relationship and how mankind broke that relationship with God. Right. And then we kind of follow a family line for, for the second half of the book. Yeah, and the family line basically uh, it strings out to show you the the most important people of that family line where they branched out from where they were going to, there's a promise from God to make a man named Abram into the father of many, or Abraham. Abraham. Yes. Uh, Fun name changes. It is. It is. Sometimes God will find you and change your name. And uh, if you asked me at seven, I was willing to change it from Benjamin, and I actually kind of like it now. (laughs) So, uh, Well, I mean, it helps you after one of uh, Jacob's sons, but hey. Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) as it follows through, uh, the line of Abraham. Uh, it actually shows people moving out to Egypt. 
So we're moving from the land of Israel or Canaan at the time, so the general Middle Eastern peninsula, and moving out to Egypt uh, during kind, a famine kind, and yeah, some other issues. Kind of following that strip down down towards Egypt, yeah. Now, many of us are familiar with the, the course of Egypt and what that is and the, the exodus. It's the change of where people gain their independence from the Pharaoh, and through a series of miracles, they went out uh, going to find the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Um, the land Israel. that God promised Abraham yep. uh, early, much earlier. Yeah. So while they're out there, it takes them some time. It's not that far of a walk. It should well, take you about two weeks. Yeah. Well, they were initially they're in the desert for about two years before they were supposed to enter the promised land. But there's some disobedience there, and God's like, "Well, all y'all who didn't uh, who didn't have faith, you're, you're going to die here, and your kids will get it." Oh, rough stuff, right? I know. Yeah. It's even Moses, the guy the guy who helped helped lead him out of Egypt, wasn't wasn't allowed in. Yeah. It's kind of tragic. So while they're living in the desert, they actually need to understand it. Hey, this is who we are as a people. How are we going to live? And God gives them a set of rules uh, for one of the tribes. There's actually 12 tribes that followed uh, from the lineage of uh, one of the children's sons. Yeah. Well, you get into technicalities here because there's 13, but uh, two of the tribes are Joseph's sons. Yeah. And And the the 13th tribe uh, is the tribe of Levi, who ends up being the priests and the people who take care of the sacred stuff in the temple. Right. So then you get the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is actually the... Oh, you see it right there, in there, Levi. Levi. Leviticus. It's the rules for how the the Levites and the priests would actually live their lives and instruct the other people to live their lives. It's how to live in relationship with each other and with God. Very important stuff. Very important stuff. Although... You can get bogged down in some of the detail it has, but, you know, God's very detail-oriented, so. Yeah, very very often people will bring up, like, two lines out of Leviticus to try to tell us the whole thing is pointless. But there's a serious thing that we need to understand if, if you're going to read through Leviticus. It's understanding how heavy and terrible sin is. Yeah, basically the main point of sin is in order to pay for that sin, in order to atone for it, which is a fancy word of saying, you know, make it right. Yeah, essentially, is sin requires death. Sin requires blood. Usually, in, in this case, you're usually sacrificing an animal. You're cutting out certain portions, offering it over fire on an altar, spread it, and smearing its blood on the side. And then, you know, the, the priests kind of get their own bit to eat because that's how they, you know, ha- earn a living. So through this, there's there's a lot of strict laws, and uh, as it stands, those laws are important. Uh, I, mean, I won't get into debates about how the laws work. I mean, and it's kind of a mixture of uh, both, like, here's how you conduct worship, but it's also, like, here's how you guys live with each other. Like, for example, don't eat shellfish. You're in a desert. That stuff's not fresh. You're going to get sick and die. Yeah, probably not a good thing. Don't eat shellfish out of a gas station. Don't don't eat gas station sushi. Just not never. even a good, never a good idea. Yeah. Good recipe for food poisoning. <laughs> Choose to sin, choose to suffer. We'll call it like that. Okay. Choose to eat gas station sushi. Choose to see a gastroenterologist. <laughs> so as Any, it's, anyway, we're on a tangent. So then after Leviticus and all these strict rules that we, to be honest, won't ever be able to fulfill. Which is kind of the point. Kind of the point. Right? God gave us one rule. We messed, In Genesis, we messed that up. In Exodus, 
He gives us 10. We messed those up. Leviticus, we've got 613. We messed those up. We messed those up. And then then in numbers. We get the numbers where there's some other stuff. Yeah. See, numbers is actually more of a a history of what what happened during that time. But actually, if if you go back into the Hebrew scriptures, you'll actually find a better name for this book. And numbers, I think, is honestly a terrible name. Well... We use numbers because there's specifically two censuses. Uh, you take, take an accounting of the people, and that's yeah. kind of where we get the name here in English. But what does it yeah. translate to in Hebrew? In the wilderness. Which is where there are. For, I would totally for, read that book. For 42 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you remember that movie, End of the Wild, where the guy goes out and lives in Alaska? Have you ever seen that? Oh, yes, totally. Oh, totally, right? See, that's a book you would read. That's a movie you would watch. And honestly, if you figured out what numbers was... In the wilderness. In yeah. the wilderness, it's like, you'd probably read that book and watch it, too, if it were a movie. Now, the last book of the, the Pentateuch is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy really means it's the second giving of the law. Second law, you'll see the you'll see the ten the ten commandments being brought up again, and really it's just Moses. Uh, the people are getting close to the promised land, being ready to enter, and he's not allowed to because he disobeyed God through a story that I'll let you read because I want you to read the Bible. Yeah, but uh, he's basically picture picture a uh, a leader t- towards the end of his. At the end of his uh, term, basically going out and giving giving this next group of people advice, or like your grandpa be, being like, "Here's all the stuff that happened in in the past, and you, I want you to learn from it." Right. And the thing about this particular piece, and, and the reason that Deuteronomy is so worth reading, the the great thing here is simply this: the second giving is not just a what, but a why. My friend Andrew says, "If you can figure out your why, you'll figure out your how." And that's, that's really the yeah. essence of this book. If you can figure out the why, you'll figure out the how. So we yeah. have all these great rules and these things that help us live well with each other and but with God. But here's why you follow those rules. Right, exactly. So then the next few books, oof, they get kind of crazy and they get kind of fun. This is high adventure stuff. If, if you all knew what was in there, ooh, you'd be reading it last week. There's Joshua who actually... Was the leader after Moses. Yeah, and he was Moses' uh, uh, assistant during the trip to the wilderness. Right, and it's basically about how they conquer the land of Israel, how they take it in and take it over. Um, And that's kind of the story of human history because everybody came from somewhere. Yeah. uh, And people kind of take it over, they evolve, they change. Although there's a lot of war in this book, there's a lot to be learned from it. Um, Some people shy away from it because of that, and they all went rainbows, butterflies, yeah. and sunshine. But what it really breaks down to is there's a reality in this book that we need to understand. There's a conquering mentality that we forgot as a people. We need to know that we can overcome things. And this great this book is a great teacher of that. Yeah, I mean, even in the first chapter, you have God telling Joshua multiple times, be strong and courageous. Yeah. And see, really, this is the beginning of what we call the histories. Uh, what people will call the patriarchs or the the histories, right? Now the patriarchs, uh, the patriarch, not the patriarchs. One is a uh, book uh, full of donuts. Also, not the patriarchy. That's a feminine a feminist thing that we're not that it isn't being talked about. Yeah, now. but basically during that time and through the the Hebrew culture, they would actually specifically follow the the men. They would actually tell the stories. Now, there are some great and wonderful stories about the Hebrew women. Dude, uh, when you you get in the judges, there's this woman named Deborah who is awesome. Oof. Amazing. So when we check it out, there is a lot of story about men. However, there's something that men and women can learn from it. Children and adults can learn from these things, even though some of them are quite brutal. Um, Not all of these are are told to children, and a lot of us learn what we learn just in Sunday school. A lot of these things... 
shouldn't be told to children because yeah, absolutely the Bible is a very NC seventeen book. Very much so. Yeah, and in some places even more than that. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, so as we look through these, there's uh, several histories that we're looking at. It's the book of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, and you can also go into Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, really. Yes. So these are, are the basic histories. Now, if you want to kind of take a look at them, Judges can be is really probably the most relevant book of the day um, because, and everyone did as they saw that was fit in their own eyes is kind of the repeating yeah. phrase. There's there's also a phrase that you'll see like in those days Israel had no king like they're like the writing from the time when the monarchy gets set up there, and they're talking about how days were before that. Yeah. But yeah, also everyone did as they saw right in their own eyes, and it's just complete and utter anarchy. Yeah, absolutely, Drew. You, you don't see that in today's world, do you? Yeah. Um, also, Judges is a story about <laughs> repeated failure on the Israelites' part. Yeah. Ba- basically what happens is, uh, I'm going to spoil some of Joshua for you. When they go in and uh, drive out the people, they don't actually drive them all out like they're supposed to. And they kind of become a stumbling block to the, to the these God's words, uh, a stumbling block to the Israelites. Uh, you'll have a tribe come in, oppress them because they're not following God, so he's not right. you know, a- actively uh, protecting them. They'll cry out. He'll raise up a judge, somebody to help liberate them from that tribe. They'll drive those people out. The judge will reign for about three to five decades, die, and then people will go back to doing whatever the hell they want again. Yeah, it's a, it's a rough situation. It's, 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 it's kind of tragic. Yeah. And then as, eventually as we go on, there are kings that are appointed, and that doesn't go as well, or that doesn't go great yeah, either. Yeah, the first king isn't so well, it doesn't go so well. second king uh, is David, and he's a man after God's own heart, but he's just as flawed as the rest of us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the kingdom kind of breaks down a- a- after Solomon's rule, his, David's uh, youngest son. Yeah, and then immediately after that, we get into the wisdom literature, which we're talking about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Yeah, or, or, song, song, of, or song, song of Solomon, depending on what yeah. tra- what translation you have. So with Job, you're you're basically kind of seeing this uh, this thing called the theodicy. It's the uh, how do we deal with suffering? Uh, how does God uh, exist even though bad things happen? Yeah, and with Job, we have an interesting story because we're normally taught that hey, if you do good things, good things happen. If you do bad things, well, bad things happen, which is kind of a general rule, but with Job, we have the exception. We have a guy who is righteous, is following after God, and yet still suffers tremendously. Yeah. And the re- and most most of the book is a dialogue between him and his uh, friends who keep insisting he must have sinned somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind it's of It's kind of tragic. Thing. Yeah, it's a tragic thing. It's tragic. Uh, just because you got good friends doesn't mean you got good advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, Job is, a, is also some good wisdom on what not to say to people who are suffering. Absolutely. Here's what you don't say. Here's what you don't say. Now, Psalms, uh, it's a different sort of wisdom. Actually, Psalm, technically, uh, the book of Psalms is written by a variety of people. Uh, most notably, David. There are some Solomon songs. And th- th- there's um, some other ones, like... I forget off the top Right, of there's actually some priestly sects that actually write songs. So and, and there's even like uh, songs you're supposed to sing on, on the way on the way to the temple. Right, right. So, so there's so, songs of ascent. Yeah, songs of ascent and other things. So basically, they get you ready to worship, um, and there's a lot of wisdom in them. Just reading the lyrics. In fact, I saw a thing the other day. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was maybe George Strait. 
um, yeah. an old country singer, and he said, uh, when you're happy, you enjoy the songs. When you're sad, you understand them. And there's a lot of that there. There's there's these overwhelming, triumphant songs, but there's also these terrible ones like Seven, 77, yeah. I believe 88. And, and, and most of the time, these are right next to each other. Like these are just songs that are in, that are in the book. And you'll, you'll go straight from like one that's uh, rejoicing because life is amazing and God is awesome. And the next one will be like, God, where are you? I'm suffering. My life sucks. People are trying to kill me. Yeah, absolutely. I need you right now. Yeah, Just, so, and even like right from from psalm to psalm, you'll get you'll get this tonal shift. Right, and then we we shift from there into proverbs, which is basically a, a lot of great sayings that just give us day to day wisdom. In fact, Billy Graham said, "Every day I read a song or a psalm, and then I study after that uh, a book of uh, proverbs." So when he goes into that, that helped him live his life in a great way. Uh, that Ecclesiastes, we're kind of looking at from, going from this high theology of like this bit of optimism, really, into this almost nihilistic approach. Yeah, uh, Ecclesiastes is this old man at the end of his life looking back and realizing that a lot of stuff he did doesn't actually matter. Yeah, it's, you know, I do all the right things and good Good people suffer, bad people prosper. What is the point? Yeah, of I, I I worked my butt off for the, for the stuff, and I'm not even going to enjoy it because now I'm old, and it'll be handed off to my son, who may do good things with it, may do awful things with it. I don't know. Point point is, I'm not going to enjoy the things I work for. Someone else is going to have it handed to him. Yeah, and and really, kind of the if I were going to sum sum up um, Ecclesiastes in one little thing, I'd say. One time, I tried to tackle a fog, but I missed. Yeah, pr- pr- <laughs> yes, I the, missed, Drew. Yes, I got the. I got, That's terrible. I got the pun. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, Ecclesiastes is, is a very good book. But yeah. I would recommend not going into it if you're already crazy depressed, because the tone is is very, as Ben put it, nihilistic. Yes, and it's it's a it talks about how life is a vapor in the wind and it's so temporary, but there's also much to be learned from. There's it. much wisdom to be gained yeah. for, in this book as well. Now, Song of Songs, um, this is a controversial thing for some people. Um, what it is is literally love letters back and forth between uh, a proposed bride and husband. Yeah, um, the structure of the book is the. the uh, Lover that would be the that, that would be the husband, and you got the beloved, the wife, and their friends kind of occasionally chime in, right? But really, it's like this romantic po- uh, love poetry on how a romantic and erotic relationship is supposed to happen. Exactly, it, it's it's, uh, it's crazier cr- than you think. It's like Shakespeare, and that it, hi- it hides it hides some of the dirty stuff from you until you think about it twice. <laughs> it's very much in that way. Uh, in fact. Uh, a lot of times what happens is people when they're they're young and sometimes uh, young theologians, people that go to seminary when they're uh, 20 years old, they think, uh, or they're 25 years old, they think all this is about God's love towards me. And although you can maybe take some of that out of there, some of it is most definitely not. It is some very it, much a husband and wife yeah, thing. Yeah, it's very much a keep that in context. Yes. This is Ben's opinion, and we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> um Next, we actually have the prophets, and there's quite a few of them, so I'm just going to run through the list real quick. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, 
Habakkuk or Habakkuk, depending on who you are. Just say it with confidence. People with confidence. You. Absolutely. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And the Lamentations in there is actually written by Jeremiah, which is why it is directly after that book. Technically could be with the wisdom literature, but it's better off placed on alongside of Jeremiah. It, it's also a sad book. I don't recommend it if, uh, if you're already feeling down. Yeah, well, sometimes it could make you feel up. I don't know. I'm, I, I, yes, some of it, because it's literally... Uh, there, there's an event that happens in the history where Israel gets, uh, well, actually, sorry, I don't want to get my words mangled. Uh, so there's a part where in the history is where Israel gets uh, splintered into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. You got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Uh, Israel gets annihilated by, by the Assyrians uh, and gets scattered. And then you've got Judah, which uh, is where uh, Jerusalem would be. And there's a tragic siege there where... Uh, Jerusalem finally falls and those people get taken into captivity in Babylon. And they're starving and they're and, dying. And they're starving and dying and eating their own children. It's terrible. It, it's not... Yeah. It, it's not... It, it's a depressing book. Yeah, but it teaches us, It teaches grieving in an actually kind of healthy way. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, basically what we're looking at, there's there's even two sections of the prophets. The uh, the major prophets and the lesser prophets. Which kind of sucks to call them lesser prophets, but hey. Well, it technically means that they're just shorter books. Yeah, I know. Because right. you've got uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, which are the major prophets. Yeah. They're pretty long books. Now, later on, we're going to talk about James the Lesser, who is the... There's two uh, two of the apostles that are named James. They've got James and James the Lesser, which in that case means he's short, not so that he wrote less. This does not mean the prophets are short, just for, yeah. <laughs> for fun's sake. But this is the Old Testament that we're looking at. This is the beginning of the promise. You remember Abraham was promised that his children would number more than the stars in the sky? And this is that beginning of the promise that even though we messed up things in the beginning, we didn't follow that one rule uh, to not eat from a specific tree and we caused havoc and chaos from that. The promise was that not just simply that Abraham would have children, but of, of that family line. Of that family, an entire line. nation would come out of that, and an entire nation would come out of that, and through that nation would come out the Savior of the world. That's where we be in, in the New Testament. Yeah, and all, everything in the Old Testament points towards the New Testament, specifically Jesus. Hey, Drew, what does testament mean? I'm attesting about something. I'm telling you something. On, on top of that, it could be it could be a covenant as well. Actually, no, it's a promise. promise. It's a covenant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a, a covenant. Yeah. Yeah. Because you got the old covenant and the new covenant, which we'll get into here in a second. Yeah. So the, uh, the new Testament is actually comprised of several quick sections. I'm just going to run through those real fast. There's the gospels. The good news is what gospel means. And those cover Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's the history, which we cover in Acts, the book of Acts, which is also written by the same dude, Luke, uh, who wrote the gospel. But we also have the epistles or letters, if you will. Um, Most of them are written by Paul. However, there are ones written by others. Uh, The ones written by Paul are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. And um, then we've also got Philemon. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote that one. We know James actually wrote the letter of James. And, and this, is, and this is James, Jesus' brother. James, Jesus' brother, yes. And then Peter, uh, the apostle, wrote two letters, first and second Peter. And the apostle John wrote three. 
Well, um, actually four letters, but he but he, he's got first, second, and third John, which are bear, bear his name, and then yeah. he's got Revelation. Yeah. So yeah, he wrote uh, he wrote a gospel, three letters, and a separate oddity all of itself, didn't he? Yes. But we skipped Jude there. And right. Jude is also in there. Um, Revelation is one of those things. It's a hot-button thing for some people. I'm just going to tell you simply what it means. Revelation and apocalypse are basically the same word, uh, same understanding. And it just means a revealing. So think of like at the end of Wizard of Oz. Um, the man behind the curtain. The man behind the curtain. When the curtain was there, there was a revelation or an apocalypsis. Of the actual Wizard of Oz, not being an actual wizard, great. But see, we're actually looking at something more. We're talking about not revelations. There's only one. Revelation. And what is that revelation? Is an understanding of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the revelation. And so we're we're actually seeing an unveiling or an uncovering of what is to come. We're knowing something that's going to happen behind that curtain. Now, it's just like we're sitting here waiting for a play, but we don't understand what will be there yet. We know that it's an artistic thing in the way it's written and understood, but there's something yet to come, and that's where it comes from. Yeah. So, Drew, do you know why there's four Gospels? I don't know. I mean, th- there's four different guys who wrote, who wrote them, right? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Well, I would say simply because it's better than three. It's better than three. Okay, just kidding. Uh, okay. Well, I mean... <laughs> Here's where we can get into a breakdown. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we, we call the Synoptic Gospels, right. meaning they basically have the majority of the same events. Yeah. They're, they're written uh, at different different times. I mean, they're still roughly close together, but different times to different audiences even. Mm-hmm. You've got Matthew, who uh, will, will, will refer to uh, uh, heaven as like the kingdom of heaven. He has uh, other events that appeal to uh, the Jewish audience. Essentially, he's writing to to the uh, Jews to convince them, "Hey, you should probably f- be following this Jesus guy." Yeah. Uh, Mark um, is actually a what f- uh, friend of Peter. Yeah. And it's basically writing down what Peter's told him, and there's a very big sense of urgency in this book. Like um, this happened, and then immediately this happened, and then immediately this happened. Mm-hmm. And we should be we should have the sense of urgency when it, when it comes to uh, God when, yeah. it, when it comes to following what Jesus has taught us. You've got Luke, who is a doctor who is actually uh, financed by a guy named uh, Theophilus, which means lover, lover of, God, of knowledge. Lover, lover of well, Theus isn't the lover yeah. of God. Yeah. Uh, well, Theophilus. Uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm not so up on my. Uh, and, and he, Latin anymore, th- but th- yeah. Theos. Anyway, um, he's financed by this guy to go research what's been told about Jesus. And he goes go, goes to the families uh, that would have lived near him, his relatives, people that he would have come in contact with, and basically writes down these stories. Yeah. So you're actually reaching out to four different sets of people, really. Yeah. So let's let's kind of break this down. Um we the, haven't even covered John yet, but we'll, right. we'll get to it. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have to jump on that one separately. Because Mark is actually the first gospel that was written. Now, it's not the first one in order when you actually look at the canon of how the Bible is set up. But it was the first one written. First one written. And actually, those people thought Jesus was coming seriously any day. Like, could be like right now. Right. So if you think, hey, I'll be right back, and then nobody shows, you're just, you're like, okay, well, how about now? How about now? And there's that sense of now and not quite yet. And that's a tension that we always sit in. 
Um, so Mark was actually John Mark. He was a, an apostle of uh, one of the uh, followers of uh, Peter. In fact, it's implied that he is in the book. In fact, they, they said that there was a young man who was uh, stripped of his cloth. Yeah, yeah who, who ran, ran away naked when, G, when Jesus was arrested. And yeah, that doesn't away. appear anywhere else. So it's something that probably was what was that guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's not a detail that's just kind of like, well, only the company who was there would actually know that. Right. And, and exactly that. Somebody who was there would know that. And one of the things that a lot of people don't actually latch onto is the fact that each of the disciples had their own disciples. They I had totally. other people. Oh, yeah, totally. Because we're, we're supposed to make disciples and they were doing that. Right. Exactly. So John Mark would have followed Peter everywhere that he went. And that was one of those things. Now, when Matthew, see, John Mark is actually writing specifically to the Jewish Christians, the people that were Jewish and they're becoming Christians. And they're like, hey, yes. let this know it's coming here. Just as the beginning, there's this herald, this king coming through, this anointed one that they're expecting the whole way. So then Matthew comes along. Now, Matthew is also assuming a certain amount of Jewish history, but he's actually kind of telling it a little bit better. He's actually going through and telling the lineage of Jesus Christ. Here's like, hey, here's that family, and this is why it's important. Kind of like how that family was super important in the Old Testament as well? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a callback to that. These people would have had this, the Old Testament books, and he's calling back specifically to the to the law, to Genesis, and and throughout their histories. He, he, starts, with, he starts there and just keeps going until he hits Jesus. Right. And so what we're looking at is even in the first book, we're actually tracing it back to the original promise. So there's something very Jewish about that, where he's actually tracing it back all the way to Abraham. So we're going back to Abraham. To Who's say, a big deal. Right. Who is a very big, a very deal. big deal. Very big deal. So he actually points out all the important fathers along the way and a lineage along the way. Uh, you know, And what's super cool about it is you get people who, that you wouldn't expect in the lineage to. You get, uh, um, what, what is her name who helped, him, helped those guys at Jericho? What, what is that? Rahab. Yeah, you get Rahab, who was a prostitute, who uh, hid spies when, when, they were, when the Israelites were first t- uh, taking Jericho. Or Tamar. Uh, sorry, no, no, t- Tamar's different. Tamar's different. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I said and, and, Rahab, and I was right. Yeah, <laughs> and then you get, and then you get Ruth, who, yeah. uh, you know, was actually a a foreigner to to a, she wasn't Jewish. Yeah, but she ends up uh, living with her, her uh, mother-in-law and ends up marrying uh, Boaz, who is the father of uh, Obed, who is Jess, who is. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's he, he, a lot he, of history. He's there. the uh, great great grandfather of da- of David, who became king of Israel. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of great things that happen within that. Yeah, I'm sorry, so, I, I totally just geeked out over over a genealogy. Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's all right. But it's important. There's important stuff in your begats there. So when it when it comes down to it, you're actually looking at a very Jewish understanding. So there's a lot of things that he'll actually say in in Matthew that yeah. are just kind of assumed knowledge. Now, when you're looking at Luke, he actually doesn't come from that line. See, Matthew, we assume is the Apostle Matthew. Yes. So, you know, he was directly there. He was right in the line. He was hanging out at all these things. He would have been a very Jewish person through all the traditions and the cultures and so forth. But since Luke would have actually come from Southern Europe, he wouldn't necessarily have known all these things in details. Or Theophilus, who would have sent him or commissioned him to do so, wouldn't necessarily know those things. So he explains it in a very Gentile way, in a way that's non-Jewish. So people that don't understand the tradition would then 
understand it. Yeah, and he, he uh, spends significant time in his gospel talking about the Gentile, you know, talking to the Gentiles and also those who are social outcasts as well. Yeah, and the the thing that's uh, that's cool about this, and the reason they're synoptic is they are similar. There are actually some things that run as a common course. Yeah, there, there's sto- you'll you'll see throughout reading reading these that that some will reference other gospel. Yeah, so versions. John. John Mark was writing it immediately, and this is actually written during a time of uh, Christian persecution where they thought, okay, I got to get this out or I'm going to die. So Matthew, when he writes it, he does use a lot of the same source. In fact, it's often assumed that he uses Mark as a source for writing his own material. Now, the other thing about that is he fleshes it out because he was also there, not as a, as an apostle, or, or not as a... A disciple of an apostle, but an apostle himself. Yeah, so he just adds to adds to the narrative. He's like, yeah, you got that right, but let me actually explain this a little bit better. Yes. See, my older brother does that to me. He's like, yeah, 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 he told this story, but let me give you a little more detail that helps you out, right? Uh, so Matthew does that, but Luke, not only does he use Matthew, but he uses Mark as well. And because of the way it's told, he actually tells... Uh, the feminine side of things through Mary's line. So it's also assumed that he either had access to Mary or Mary's people. Yeah, which is pretty good stuff. Significant. If you're going to... I mean, because even even the book of Luke doesn't actually start with Mary. It starts with uh, um, John the Baptist's mother. I forget, I forget yeah, her name. Mary's cousin. Mar- Mary's cousin. Yeah, it, it starts there because, you know, John was born first. Yeah. So when you start looking through that, that's very important. Then you will come to John. Now, John is what we call the love gospel. Um, it's, oh, yeah. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of love there. And, you and know, we I, often I, talk I, about... I don't mean a lot of love. I mean <laughs> a lot of love. Yeah, a lot of love. And it's, it's often called the... Uh, often refers to as the disciple that Jesus loved. And we believe he's referring to himself there. Yeah, which, you know, kind of comes across a little bit narcissistic sometimes, but then... There's parts where you read through the Gospels that, you know, John had a temper and he messed up. And I, I always view the more disciple Jesus loves like, dude, Jesus even loved me. Yeah. Even though I'm this messed up guy, Jesus loved me. So I'm the disciple he loved. Yeah. And see, of, although Jesus had 12 apostles, he had three that were even more important. Three of them closer, right? I got 12 best friends. But I got three that are closer than other ones, right? Yeah. And it's kind of in that way because, you know, when it when it breaks down, there's always 12 guys running around doing everything that needs to be done. But there's always Peter, James, and John that are always going with Jesus it, off on these little... Yeah, his, like, core group. His core group, exactly. These are the people that he influenced the most. Now, it comes out a lot through John, and there's a lot of relationship principles that come out of John. Yes, and that how we deal with God and how we deal with each other. Because we understand God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that work in perfect uh, perfect communion with each other and perfect harmony. And that is expected of us as well, that we would live with each other in harmony. And we see a lot of those principles come out of John. Yeah, and John's John, uh, the book of John is actually structured in a way that he gives you his main argument, which speaking start, you know, starts with in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with him in the beginning. The word being Jesus in this instance, and walks you kind of through the way that works. And his main point is, yes, there's a ton of love here, but Jesus is also not only just a son of God, but is also God. He's yeah. reinforcing that Trinity perspective. Over and over. Which yeah. is really good. I mean Yeah, that's really a great thing in itself. Um, 
And after we're done with those four Gospels, which are the, the basically the life and times of Jesus and how we understand that, uh, they include his teachings, his miracles, uh, his history, his lineage. There's a lot of things that come through there. And, and it's an extension. It's a continuation of that New Testament. Now, the or the, uh, continuation of the Old Testament. I'm yeah. Saying. So we also have, after that, another book written by Luke, the doctor. Yeah, it's Acts. Yeah, and Acts is... Or, or the Acts of the Apostles, or whatever you want to call it. Exactly. And it's basically an explanation of what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. So what do we what do we look like? What do we do at the beginning? How do we build this church into what it is today? How did 12 guys reach the whole world? <laughs> and, and surprisingly, it starts with them kind of waiting. Yeah, it does. I mean, you, you've got uh, the uh, Apostles... The 11, 11 apostles, because, you know, Judas kind of did the whole suicide after betraying Jesus, but they replaced him with somebody else. Yeah. Um, and you've got this apostles and, like, and, and like Jesus's, uh, his, uh, Jesus's mother and brothers, which is saying something if your own mom and brothers are worshiping his God. All, ga- all gathering in this upper room where we've previously been for the Last Supper, right? Mm-hmm. And the small group of people is just waiting, pray, uh, praying, expectantly waiting on on uh, the Holy Spirit to come, which Jesus promised when he left. Mm-hmm. And then finally it hits. It comes at, oh, yeah. at Pentecost. And you can take it away from there because it's an amazing story. Yeah, absolutely. And from that point, uh, people are just, their tanks are full. They're filled up and ready to go. And from that point, they spread out to the world. It's like that pressure of the spring down from there. Because what happens when you pressure a spring down, it's going to jump out, right? And although they go out into the world with power, uh, they go out with uh, prayer, they go with love, and they can go with uh, so many tools that are out there, these uh, gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. They also, on top of that, um, are pressured and oppressed by not just the Roman government, um, but also the church that existed at that time as well. Um, and that can be taken to wrong extents today, but the pressure of what was happening with the Jewish church in that that new branch that came off from it with Judaism, um, you know, fallen by the, uh, the secondary compared to Christianity in, in that time, uh, it really spread out from there. And the more they were pressed down, the farther up they sprang. Now, that meant a number of things. It meant martyrs dying. Uh, it meant yeah, persecution. Yeah, the, the, the first martyr being Stephen. Right. And there were so many things that happened from that. But what we understand from those times is one of their, their greatest opposers, Paul. Well, Saul. Or Saul at that point. Yes, you're right. Yes, Saul. Uh, Saul was actually a murderer of Christians. He was part of that church, and he was out to kill and murder Christians. That was his point. To stop this uh, new sect, this way from spreading. Yeah, exactly. So when he's doing this, he eventually runs in face-to-face with God himself. He's hit with a blinding light, literally blinding him for a short while. Struck him blind, yeah. Struck him blind, uh, of which he received a healing by a Christian. He received prayer and a healing, and his sight was restored, and then he became one of the greatest, most prolific writers in the New Testament, let alone the whole Bible. Yeah, he, he he writes much of the rest of this New Testament. Right. So what we're looking at from that point is uh, not only was he a great Jew of the temple, he would have actually understood it completely in the best way possible. He was taught by Gamaliel, which is one of the high priests at the time, one of the the most notable priests. And so he had an absolute fluency when it comes to the Old Testament, but he also came face to face with Christ. 
So he had and on this top new, on top of that, he was also a Roman citizen, so he understood the, the Gentile absolutely uh, stuff as well. But yeah, face face of Christ, more yeah. important here. Yeah, and he from there on between Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so on, until he finishes out his writing. All these books are to explain. Okay, the gospel is is the noun. It is the thing. So these letters are the verb. How do you act with this faith that you have now? Yeah. And that's where it kind of builds out from there. You're also seeing in these same letters or epistles, if you if your Bible is old enough and still calls it epistles. Um, I don't know. Have, Drew, have you ever received an epistle in the mail? No, I, I get letters in, in the mail. And even right. then, I typically get emails or texts because old-fashioned mail is kind of outdated now. Yeah, you got that, right? So uh, he sends these emails out. No, okay, that didn't work like that. <laughs> Dude, so, if Paul had the internet, it would have been it would have been awesome. Okay, yeah, it would have been crazy, crazy good. So he sends out all these letters explaining how to live out this Christian faith now, and then of course we come to Revelation. Yeah, specifically, these letters are being sent to churches he helped plant. Right. Or, or well, not, not all of them were, but yeah, to churches that were planted when the you know church kept spreading. Right. Absolutely. It was a time of not addition, but multiplication. Yeah. Sorry. And then we get to Revelation. And then we get to Revelation, which is weird. Now, Drew, I know you're probably not the art nerd that I am. Yeah. Uh, but what's your favorite painting? Favorite painting? Um, probably Starry, Starry Night. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's pretty pretty sweet. I, I also like uh, Persistence of Memory. The Melting Clocks painting is so cool. Oh, yeah. That's, that's Cause it's like, cool. yeah, mem- memory's not persistent. <laughs> memory's yeah. not permanent. One of the most influential paintings of our time is Guernica. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gu- yeah Guernica. Yeah. Guernica. So, yeah, it's, yeah, that, it's a Picasso painting. A Picasso painting. And it's horrific when you look at it. You've got you've got these mangled body parts and animals being destroyed and this entire city being bombed. and People in agony and despair. And even though it's cubist art, it still is like horrifying to look at. Right. And and it's it's not like a picture. It's not like a photograph. It's actually it represents something. It represents the like not not just the emotion but like all the other stuff that happened there. Right. Now, here's going to be a statement that some people will agree with and some people will not, but I will tell you that poetry and art like painting have a similarity to what you see in Revelation. Because some people will take it as what they call a literal context. Yeah. Some people will take it as figurative. Some t- people will take it as abstract. And some people will think it's like some sort of, you know... Super secret code, man. Super secret code. Like, uh, it's the uh, same people also, you know, claim that... Crop circles are QR codes for, for aliens, right? <laughs> that was a super inside joke. I don't know why. Super he inside. I don't know why joke. he shared that, yeah. but it was it was, it was funny. G- it was good. So, anyways, basically, there's there's something to be understood from here, and well, without whitewashing the whole thing and just running over the top of it, I will start up in this way. I will explain to you the simplicity of the gospel and what it is. In Genesis, where we started, after God created a a habitat for us, there was a perfect garden, there was a tree, there were rivers, and there were people living in harmony with God, each other, and the world around them. And it was good. And it was good. And the middle section, we've messed up. 
we cause this havoc, this chaos, the confusion, blood, war, uh, thieving, all these other terrible, terrible things. And in the middle, Christ comes to us and says, we can fix this in that third act. And then that, that New Testament is the third act. And at the end of it, all things are set right. We are in heaven, living with unity with God, each other, the world around us. There is a tree, there is a river, and all things are set right. So this is the essence of the gospel. This is what we understand of the Bible. Now, I think this has been kind of a good overview, and there's obviously years of detail we can throw into it. Yeah, and I've been fighting the urge to splurge like other details all over the place. So, There was one other question you had for me earlier about yeah, missing books. Well, what's interesting about this is I have in front of me a Protestant Bible. You know, you've got the uh, uh, – Catholic Church, which in this case, Catholic means, you know, united, like whole church. Universal. Or, yeah. u- universal, yep. which would have been like the church which we talk about coming out of Acts. Right. But in the 1600s, you have the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you, you've got uh, Martin Luther and his theses. They nails the door and that, that starts a kind of weird religious schism f- using the using terms. Um, yeah. But, what, but what's interesting about it is after this – there, if, if I if I had, for example, a Roman Catholic Bible, there'd be more books in here than what I what I have here. There, there'd be books like First and Second Maccabees and Obed, and there'd be uh, some extra like verses or chapters to like, for example, Daniel. And yeah, there's yeah, the yeah. Susanna and the Elders. Yeah, yeah, like Song of Susanna at, at the end. You also have Daniel and the Dragon. Yeah. Um, on top of that, weren't there a whole bunch of other gospels written? Why, yeah. why, why, why aren't those in there? How, 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 why these books specifically? Well, yeah, let me, let's actually talk about one word real quick. It's called canon. Okay. For all, for all of us, for all of us nerdy guys, uh, nerdy guys and girls out there, we, we can talk about the different kind of canons. Right, right. It's not a camera and it's not going to blow anything up. So a canon is a measuring stick or basically it's a, a rule. Right. Yeah. So there's a rule for what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. For example, when when Star Wars Episode Seven came out, much of the Star Wars expanded universe became what was called non-canon because, well, we've got different stories we're going to tell now. Oh yeah, we went super super nerdy on that. I I, I went hardcore super nerdy on that. But but anyway, yeah, canon is a measuring stick for which we determine. So is this proper or is it not? Yes. You know. So if if you heard a rumor about me. You would actually have to measure it against the canon of what you actually know in me about me in relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So there's like, is this true? Is this right? Is it not? Does that seem like Ben or does it not seem like Ben? And you'd have to determine at that point, is it true or not? So what happened is in 325, uh, there was a council that got together and they actually determined what is proper and what is not. And how do they use that was actually number one. Uh, public knowledge, um, studied knowledge, who was writing the Gospels because there were so, so many of them. Yes. Um, so there's some of them that are way off the wall, some of them that make no sense, like, some of them that don't like follow. The go- like the Gospel according to Thomas is yeah. insane. Yeah, there's, there's different ones that just, okay, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the Jesus I know. Now, that's a whole other set of uh, set of issues there because some people think Jesus is just a... 
a guy in a tie-dyed shirt wandering around the desert, you know, hugging people and high-fiving. But if we actually look in the scripture, we see a little more than that. We don't see... Oh, especially in Revelation where, where he's all tatted up on, on one of his legs and yeah. is, is riding a battle horse to, you oh. know... Anyway. Yeah, I, we don't know about tattoos, but it's I, a, I, says I, something on his leg. I, I, I was kidding about the tattoo part. <laughs> please, please do not start quoting Leviticus at me that I have to tattoo myself, okay? Right. So basically <laughs> what we're looking at is we see a warrior Jesus, right? And different people have other versions of Jesus but, that they see depending yeah, on the But you also see a very loving Jesus in the Gospels as well. Like, you, you see all aspects of him. It's all relational. But love is strength and soft. Yes. It's strong and soft at the same time. So this is kind of what we're looking at, that that canon. So some of those things just didn't match up. Or it's the, the Gospel of Bob, Ralph, Mickey, and Mike. She's my girl. I don't care who you like. See, I went with an 80s joke there. Yeah, um, I, I didn't catch it. Sorry. Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky. It's a new edition joke. Never mind. So the point is, uh, I mean, we, 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 if it's we someone who's... Like, sorry. If we don't know that that person was directly related to Jesus or hung out with Jesus, there'd be an issue with it, right? Yeah, there'd be an issue. Uh, do we believe the guy? Uh, there's... We also like know history too, right? So right. So like, what's the historicity of this? Yeah, right. that's a word. Historicity. How accurate is the, is the history of this thing's telling? Yeah, and see to to our extent, let's say we're going to look back at uh, George Washington. There's a lot we know about the life of George Washington, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you doubt it? Uh, no, because there's stuff. There's that people still who knew now. somebody who knew somebody who wrote a letter, yeah. or whatever. Or even Alexander the Great, the first reference we have to him in history comes 300 years after his death. Right. So with what we're looking at is we are actually seeing people that are close enough to the situation to actually observe it better than we did. Yeah, and right? the Gospels, by the way, were written anywhere from like 20 to I'm sorry, 50. They were to, well. <laughs> there's just debates on it, but yeah, um, but, putting paper to pen. Yeah. You're probably looking at 60 AD all the way up to roughly about 100 AD. Yeah, so that that's pretty pretty close. Right. So you're actually looking at what's what's there and what's not, what's proper and what's not, because you still had people that knew people, right? Yeah. Um, so when we're we're looking at the situation, we're trying to see what's going on. They're saying, okay, that does not fit with what we know. That fits with what we know. So that's gospel and that's not. So this is part of the canon. This is not part of the canon. That's why you have so many other things that are what we call Gnostic Gospels. Um, some of them flat out have what we would call heresy in them, things that we don't believe in or we know to be wrong. So okay. that's why they don't meet the measure of the canon. And yep. we also believe that this entire process was also guided by God. So Right. Now, as you mentioned earlier, the Reformation, why is our gospel or why does our Bible look different than a Catholic Bible? Yeah, well, why are there less books? Well, actually, not all. Protestant Bibles are that way. There are still those um, that have what we call uh, the Apocrypha. It's kind of a midway. The Apocrypha is a fancy word for things that are left out. Yeah, things that are left out. It's the things in the middle. <laughs> exactly. So there's several books like Susanna and the Elders, um, you know, Daniel and the Dragon. Um, we're talking about Maccabees. I also mentioned Obed, too. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at these things, Baruch and, and going forward, um, there's actually... Or a consideration of what's it. gospel and not what what was figured into the canon and what was not. Yeah, and they actually looked at a lot of things because the Reformation actually said, okay, there's some things wrong with how the church is operating. What they call uh, the Ben essay. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. If you've read about the selling of indulgences, that's what inspired inspired this entire thing. Yeah, basically the church is impl- was implying at the time, hey, we're trying to finance the you know like 
uh, building more churches and yeah. uh, essentially repairing stuff. And it was implied that if you would pay the indulgence instead of, you know, it would pay, it would pay for your sin, which right. is heresy if you take it that way. Right, and there's so many so many ways that things went wrong. Oh yeah, basically, definitely. We're not we're not saying the history of the church is perfect. It is definitely not. Right. You ever you ever have something so profound happen in your life that you're like, oh, I'm questioning everything. Definitely. Yeah. So you come to that moment when uh, when your girlfriend dumps you and you're like, what was happening there the whole time? I could have seen it all, right? Well, that relationship sucked. Why, why, why did I even? Why was I even involved in that? Why do all of my relationships look like that, right? So and that's kind of what they were having with with the church at that time. And it wasn't just Martin Luther. There were other contemporaries of the day that were still dealing with these issues. Yes. So they got together and they're like, okay, what's actually there and what's not? Now, they didn't add anything to the Bible, but they decided that there were certain parts that were actually just simply histories, and they didn't see the power of God in it. They only saw some of the history and the functions of Israel. Well, then why was Ecclesiastes left in? M- most of that is a, is a view under the sun. God's largely absent from that book. Because it deals with the issue of theodicy. Like, what do we I, do? I mean, until t- t- you, t- you get to, like, parts of how you go to a temple and, like, right. um, the conclusion of the book. Yeah, I deals, for you guys. Yeah, it deals with how do we deal with suffering and still believe in God. All right, so back to these books that they didn't see the, the, the God working in. Yeah, and they are not eliminated. In fact, these are books that Jesus would have read himself. Yeah. So it is absolutely I mean, appropriate to read them. And yeah, and Maccabees itself helps explain so much more of the culture that you're going into when you read the Gospels. Yeah, absolutely. It, it helps you understand why they were expecting a warrior king versus a guy who would, instead of coming in... <laughs> Overthrowing Greece like they did in the Maccabees, where we where we celebrate Hanukkah there, right? Yeah. But it instead they were expecting someone to come and overthrow Rome. Yeah, I mean, because you, you you've got some of this imagery uh, it, with the Messiah that's been prophesied. Yeah, yeah. I can see why you'd read that. In fact, the Maccabees, which honestly is a pretty cool name, it means the hammers. Oh yeah. The home. The, basically, there were priests with hammers running around town on these war horses, swinging them at the Greeks. That's pretty awesome. That's manly as it gets, it, almost Conan stuff. It's also pretty metal, so, you know, go, go write some songs about yeah. that. Yeah, write, you know, write a Conan the Barbarian book. You know, it's, it's kind of the same thing at that point. I mean, well, not really at all whatsoever. But it's this, this thing, the warrior priest is what they were looking at. So when, when Jesus comes to town, instead of riding on a war horse... <laughs> he's on a donkey. What is he right on, guys? Yeah, a donkey. You can actually read back into the Maccabees and that same scene played out prior. So they're like, yes, yes, yes. They didn't think he was the Messiah. He just They, they just thought that's the guy that's going to rec- rescue us. This is uh, another prophet performing miracles who's going to rescue us from these evil oppressors. So there's a lot to be understood about the Gospels through some of those other books. You can understand more about the New New Testament by reading the Old Testament. You can read more into the New Testament by reading the Apocrypha. So those books are absolutely worthwhile. So now we've, we've kind of covered a good general idea of what's in the Bible. Like, what is this book? Um, here's some questions that I've had and I've dealt with uh, in a somewhat controversial way. Can you write in your Bible? Uh, I have. Not this one, because it's the one I carry with me that I can actually read. Yeah. Uh, the one I have at home that I study out of, it's... I probably need a new one, because I have so much writing and notes in it. Yeah. 
So yeah, you can you can see by my highlights in Galatians. That's one of yeah. my favorite books. It's it's not sacrilege to write to write in this book. Yeah, there was a, a concept that I don't know where it perpetuated, but you know you get these nice beautiful white leather Bibles, and that's to sit on the shelf, not to actually use. It's not a workbook or, and what we need to really understand is it is a piece of paper. It is a tool, right? But before these things were actually put down, you know, why were the Gospels written in sixty, sixty and going forward? Oh, because people were actually telling people rather yeah, than writing. Yeah, and a misconception about this oral tradition, as we'd call it, is that it's like basically a game of telephone where, you know, you tell somebody and they tell somebody and they tell somebody. You know how things get messed up and jumbled when you're playing telephone? Well, in this case, it's like telephone, but between every time someone tells a message, everybody else gets to correct that. Right. And really what it comes down to is the, the global correct collective will correct you, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you'll tell, you'll, you'll tell the story and the law that, that you've memorized, and if you get it wrong, other people know this, they've been hearing it, they will correct you and, and make sure that it's still right. Yeah, and there's a difference between a casual nerd and an absolute geek. If you say, I am your father, Luke... Well, first of all, you misquoted that. Oh, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, what actually, happened? yeah, you, you know that phrase, um, actually. Um, actually, yeah. You totally messed that one up. The, right? the, the, the correct context is, Obi-Wan never told you about your father. You told me enough. You to, he told me you killed him. He, said, he says, no, Luke, I am your father. Right. Anyway, just turn it out on you again. Right. So when we when we run into these situations, that oral tradition is the way it was done. Because to be fair, there weren't that many people that were literate. So when we make that consideration and that understanding, we need to understand, okay, what's in here? How did this information get around? And yes, it was preserved by the scholars. Yeah, but and it was written down because you have a part where Jesus literally opens up the scroll of Isaiah and, and reads some of it while he's teaching in a synagogue. So. Right, but not everybody had that. Knowledge, that access. That, that knowledge, that access. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was even a problem with the early uh, Roman Catholic Church as well. Like you had priests who knew the Latin like chanting, but had no idea what it meant. Right. And prior to the Gutenberg Press in the 1400s. Yeah. It, the Bible wasn't really available. It, it was preserved through, through the um, monasteries and the scholars, and but priests. it wasn't really available because you had to copy it down by hand. Mm-hmm. So this was a really, really big thing. So I think we've uh, we've covered a lot of what's actually in the Bible, what you can do with it. And, you know, we we write on ours. Um, I've written notes in mine. Uh, in fact, it, as an example, in a in a sermon about a month ago, I was reading through Ezekiel, and it said, uh, "Son of man, eat this scroll." And in in front of the entire church, I ripped out that piece of paper, chewed it up, and swallowed it. To illustrate how insane this vision would have been, also. For some other points too, right? Yeah. So when it comes down to it, yeah, I don't recommend eating your whole Bible. Uh, get fiber in your diet some other way. But what I will tell you is that the Bible is a tool for teaching, preaching, correction, uh, for instruction, and so many things. Which, by the way, the Bible actually says about itself. Yes, it does. So keep these things in mind. But most importantly, it's a tool. Use it. You know, imagine having a, a full workbench and never doing a thing with your house. And that's often the way the Bible is treated. So your life always needs continual improvements and upgrades, and this is how you do it. You get in that tool, you read, you study, you consider. And in many ways, when we pray to God, we pray to God and just go about our lives. But if we pray and then we read our Bibles, He often answers us through the same scriptures that we are reading. Amen. Yeah. He promises that the word of the you know the scripture is living and active that it 
it isn't just words on a piece of paper. When you're spending time with God, you actually get answers to your prayer or you'll get directive or the uh, the Holy Spirit that lives in us will point out, yeah, you know, that things, the things you've been doing, those aren't stuff you should be doing. You should yeah. probably correct that. And often, you know, the Holy Spirit will actually give us correction through scripture. You're saying, okay, yeah. well, what is this? And, you know, if Jesus was just here, you know, often people say, if I met Jesus face to face, I'd say if you met Jesus face to face, you wouldn't understand. Yeah. See, what happens is the Holy Spirit, uh, and we know this for sure, not to, I don't want to get into weird heresies where this one does that and the other one does this, right? Let's let's not go into also the way you practice. That's a denomination. Right, right. It's a denominational thing sometimes. But basically what we know is that Jesus Christ is the Father's love revealed to us. But we also know that we gain understanding and wisdom about Jesus and how he is, how we should live according to that through the Holy Spirit. So we know that these are some of the functions that come out from it. So at this point, I want to, you know, just kind of wrap things up in prayer. And I'm just asking for you personally, whoever's listening to this, take your Bible out. You don't have to take the whole thing down at once. Don't try. It'll Do not try that. No, it just won't work. Start with Mark or start with John in the Gospels. And we can go from there. But we're going to continue through on our other podcast called The Way. Yes, because um, this is the other way in case you This is the other that. way again. So The Way will actually be reading through the Gospel of Mark first. We're going to go chapter by chapter so you can understand it and read along with us. But take it out. Use it on a daily basis. It'll improve your life. I promise. So, Drew, could you close this out in prayer today? Sure. Give me a second. I like to take a deep breath and collect before I actually pray. So, Dad, I want to thank you for uh, anybody who's listening to this that I get to sit here with Ben and we get to uh, endeavor in this podcast together that we get to uh, discuss God's word. And that's that's awesome. Not, not just God's word, your word. Sorry. Um I just want to thank thank you for this opportunity once more. Um, I pray that anyone who listens to this, who picks it up, that anyone who's listening out there, that you grow in relationship with God. I pray that we continue to walk with you, to learn about you, God, that we learn, not just learn, but that our lives are different because we've met you. I pray that we continue to uh, understand more and more about what your son's done for us and how we are to respond because of that, that sacrifice, that gift you've given us. And I just want to thank you for that. I uh, pray that in your son, Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on The Other Way, where we discuss the the some of the practical sides of things. Remind you to join us again for The Way, where's the uh, the podcast where we actually go line by line and discuss the scripture, just going a chapter at a time. So make sure to tune in for that as well. We'll make sure to link the two. If you have any questions, you can also uh, comment below. Uh, we always appreciate that. If you have questions for upcoming podcasts, we'd be more than happy to address them. Uh, just make sure to type those in and like us on iTunes. We appreciate that. Have a great and blessed day. Amen.